Welcome to Behind the Curtain, LA Opera's podcast series in which we look deeply at the creative process and explore opera's enduring themes and power to move us. Hi, welcome to Opera Happy Hour. My name is Jeremy Frank. I am the Associate Chorus Master at LA Opera, and I am super excited to invite you to today's episode because I have a guest in my living room. Uh, today, we'll be talking to Jacob Ingbar, who is one of our young artists with the LA Opera Young Artist Program. He comes to us from the Juilliard School and Rice University, where he did his training. And uh, Jake is from Minneapolis, Minnesota. But one of the really interesting things about Jake as a singer is that he is a countertenor. Um, first of all, so that those of you who are thinking, what is a countertenor? That's actually going to be our very first question. But uh, there's a ton of stuff that we can learn about uh, both Jacob's voice and the kind of opera operatic repertoire that he sings. Um, but also we can learn a lot about the Baroque era, which uh, I may have mentioned in a previous episode is the era from which opera is really birthed as a modern art form. And so there's a lot to talk about today. Um, welcome, Jake. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> so uh, truly, it's just my first tickled. talk show. So here we go. Here we go. <laughs> I mean, it's also one of my first conversations that isn't on Zoom. So this is pretty darn exciting. New territory. <laughs> so as you know, one of the hallmarks of this series is that we pick a theme. Today's theme is what is a countertenor and what is Baroque music? And then we put a drink pairing with uh, all of that. And, um, you know, today it, it seemed to me, I'm so lucky to have a countertenor who I can bring on the show. And as you'll hear in the episode, um, Jacob is a fantastic singer. It's really, it, it's been fun to make music together live, but also with such a great singer. So uh, that's unique and rare. And because of that, I thought we would have a unique and rare drink pairing today. We're actually drinking uh, two different kinds of vermouth. Um, Jacob has a white vermouth, a vermouth bianco, and I have a red vermouth that is also chinato, so it has a little um, spicy flavor. Um, these are not the kinds of vermouth that you put into your Manhattan. Uh, look, we love those kind of vermouths too. They're very functional. But these are a more European style that are, uh, you just sip them by themselves as if you were drinking sherry or brandy. And they're really lovely. Uh, it's essentially just a fortified wine. But um, I think of it as being something very refined and classy. <laughs> Just like I think countertenor singing is very refined and very classy. I'll take it. So, <laughs> so um, too refined and classy. And thank you for joining me. This is of so course. great. Thank you. Cheers. So, what is a countertenor? That's a good question. Um, you know, different people have different answers. But for me, you know, I try not to get too caught up on... The semantics of it all mm -hmm. um you know some people say male alto some people say say sopranist um any of those that vocabulary but i i consider myself a countertenor and basically what it refers to is um the register and the range that i sing in mm -hmm. and so i sing it's it's really the highest male voice type it's higher than a tenor mm -hmm. and we sing with you know what i would say is my falsetto voice um um, I mean, all men can really can do it, you know, um, 
but I have just cultivated it in such a way that, you know, some people say reinforced falsetto. Uh I've sort of cultivated that particular um, aspect of my voice to create um, a range and a tessitura and and, um, sort of an idiom that I that I sing in. Since we're at the piano, I can actually show our audience, um, you know, approximate pitch ranges of the different voice types. So like if we have a bass or a bass baritone, they are likely to be using these notes as part of their, what they sell the opera world, (laughs) you know. A tenor is about a half an octave higher from C to C, so to speak. And I would guess, I, I mean, we've never actually talked about this, but I'm guessing that you're at least from G to maybe top F or G. Yeah, that's sort of like the two octave range that I typically sing in. I certainly don't mean to cheapen what you do, but, um, you know, this falsetto sound, though it sounds like something that's super exotic, it's actually, it occurs all over pop culture and, and commercial music culture. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. We could think of Freddie Mercury or... Totally, Frankie Valli. Yeah. I mean, even Michael Jackson, I think, mm-hmm. you know. It's it's sort of, um, you know, an extended vocal technique in a certain sense where it, it is a particular color and... and aesthetic it's a little bit ethereal it's a little bit mysterious and um, genderless in a way yeah so it's definitely common in many many different styles Mm -hmm. Um, I just happen to use it in an operatic manner yeah if we go back to the first century um, that opera existed or really the first 130 or 150 years or so Mm -hmm. the Baroque era there, part of the reason that countertenors exist now is because there was a different practice that existed back then, writing for men who sang very, very high. Castrati, and uh, if you've got just a little bit of imagination, you can guess uh, what that might imply. It, it is exactly what it sounds like. <laughs> um, part of the reason that that process was done to young men uh, who were prepubescent was so that they would continue to grow into adult men, but that uh, the vocal development or the voice breaking or dropping to a conventional octave would be arrested. And um, how is that different from what you do? Because there's some significant differences there. Yeah, I mean, the first is there's no surgery involved. (laughs) Right. The the second is, um, you know, my, my larynx, my vocal folds themselves, have matured, you know, they have grown. Um, so that's no longer the size they were when I was a, you know, a boy mm-hmm. and as a boy soprano. So you're dealing with a fully, you know, mature instrument in terms of the voice, but also the rest of the body, the rib cage, you know, the pharynx, all of the things that sort of go into making an operatic sound, a sound. Yeah. Um, Part of the reason that this all captures our imagination so much is because of the repertoire that was written for those singers, mm-hmm. um, which overlaps to a certain degree what modern countertenors tend to sing. Yeah, I mean, I think we as a countertenor, you know, we sing a lot of Baroque repertoire. That's sort of the meat and potatoes of what we do. Mm-hmm. Um, and what that entails then is um, a lot of the castrati, castrato repertoire. So. Part of the facility that we try and cultivate in our training is to be able to sing very long phrases, mm-hmm. coloratura, 
you know, to have a really agile instrument that can do all sorts of ornamentation yeah. and expression um, that is required in the Baroque yeah. repertoire. Uh, that's that's a great point. Um, and it's worth mentioning, of course, every era of opera, just like every era of literature and every era of painting, has its own set of aesthetics. Um, in many ways, the Baroque era isn't particularly known for its very realistic approach to depicting emotions. A lot of times um, they were following something called the doctrine of the affect. So each song that you sing, each aria that you sing, will typically have an A section which depicts one and only one emotion. And then if the uh, composer and the librettist wanted to show something contrasting or some other piece of drama within that song, they'd give you a B section with contrasting music. And then you would repeat the A section with all of these pyrotechnic, uh, pyrotechnic moves that you described, the coloratura. Um, but really, in a lot of ways, it's focused very much on the singer and the singer as a vocal athlete in a lot of ways. Yeah. And I think, you know, the drama is still very much important. It's not just theatricality for theatricality's sake. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so much of what I love about the Baroque repertoire is the ownership that the artist gets to put onto the music and, it, mm -hmm. and infuse the character with, you know. We we're given a game plan and you can sort of see the affects in, you know, how they've been laid out by the composer, but within ornamentation, you can put in an appoggiatura, you can do certain things that change the harmony, you know, yeah. and that, that can create a more emotional and more psychological uh, interpretation, you know, in, yeah. in the music itself. So we've got three really beautiful excerpts for you today, uh, sort of representing the bookends of the Baroque era. Um, so why don't we start at the beginning, so to speak? Uh, with a piece from an opera by Cavalli called uh, La Callisto. Mm -hmm. And um, Jacob, could you tell us a little bit about this piece and what it's about? Yeah, La Callisto is a beautiful opera. It was actually the very first Baroque opera I ever did. Wow. So it sort of holds a special place for me in that sense. Um, and the aria, the selection that we've chosen, is called Lucidissima Face, um, which is sung by the character Endymione, who is a shepherd boy and an aspiring astro astrologer. <laughs> um, and, you know, in the opera, he meets the goddess Diana. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they fall smitten with each other sort of immediately. And this aria comes in the next the next act when um, he is singing to the moon um, in all of its splendor and um, hopes that he will be reunited with Diana in his dreams. Oh, <laughs> 
So for our next stop orally through the Baroque era, I thought we'd actually jump to the other end of uh, the time frame and go to a guy, uh, George Frederick Handel, who was one of the biggest superstar composers of opera uh, in the 18th century at all, but particularly of the late Baroque era. He wrote tons of opera, didn't he? He wrote absolutely tons and oratorio <laughs> and, you know, I grew up listening to a lot of um, the American Songbook, and Handel is truly one of the great melodists, I think, ever. Yes. You know, like Gershwin, like, you know, so many others. The amount of melodies that are just stunningly beautiful that come out of his work is yeah unparalleled. Yeah. Um, for those of you at home who are thinking, this Handel guy, he sounds familiar. Uh, if you've ever heard or sung the Hallelujah Chorus from the Messiah, that's the guy we are praising very highly. Yes. Um, it's interesting that you talk about Handel as a melodist. I absolutely agree. Um, and some of, uh, some of his slow songs are very beautiful, but I like Handel best when he's a little spicy oh, and totally. a little faster, which is kind of what we've got today. Yes. Um, the next aria is Lusinghiera Mia Speranza. It's from Agrippina, um, one of Handel's operas. And uh, in this scene, the character Ottone has just returned and he has brought the news that Claudius um, has survived, and who is the king, uh -huh. uh, or the emperor? Oh. Uh, Claudius has survived, <laughs> um, and that he has named Ottone as his successor. Mm -hmm. um, and Ottone uh, reveals to Agrippina that he is in love with Popea. final musical example that we'd like to leave you with today for me is one of the most beautiful uh, pieces of music that we're performing today. Uh, I've played this song for you several times now. Also, if I'm not mistaken, for your audition yeah, for this I very program. Right? I was shocked. I had it on my, on my aria package you know, list of five arias. 
for my final audition here. And you know, I'd sung actually two Handel arias previous. Mm -hmm. And it's a, it's a really beautiful piece. It shows a lot of sort of exposed vocal beauty, um, simplicity. Um, you know, in the English Baroque, you don't always have as much ornamentation, but there's definitely room for yeah. word painting. Um, well, and let me just tell you, audience at home, Jacob's being a little bit modest here. Um, auditions are strange. We were on the stage of the Dorothy Chandler Pavilion. I think we had probably said maybe 25 words to each other at yeah. that point of knowing each other. And um, the song starts very starkly and it reveals immediately if somebody is a musician or not in a very deep hearted sense of the word. So I decided I was going to play as musically as I could just to see what you might do. And you outstripped every expectation that I could have had. And I think you made a big impression, not just on me, but on all of us as you sang it. Oh, and you. when you agreed to do this show, I knew we had to hear you do it. It's a piece I love to sing um, because I, it, one, some people know it, some people don't, but it, I can instantly sort of has an, an, an entrancing sort of quality to, about the, the, the work, yeah, the music absolutely. itself. Um, and and yeah, it just it's it comes from actually Sophocles' play Oedipus, and um, it was written as incidental music by it's by Purcell, mm -hmm. and um, in the piece itself, in the context of the play, you know, there's this sorcerer conjuring up a spell, so it actually has sort of dark undertones, although it's often just revered as sort of this, you know, an emblem of just you know beautiful lyric writing that praises the beauty of it of, of music and it's right. sort of self-referential in a way yeah um so there's many layers you know you can sort of build into it and it's very typical um of personal style to sort of have all these um you know onomatopoeia sort of um text painting yes um, which you'll you'll definitely hear in the middle section in here. the piece so it's it's just it's, it's fun to sing i i i bring it you know sort of often in my book, as we say, yeah. um, just because I think um, it works on many levels. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think I'm sure you'll agree. Uh, here's here's how that beautiful song sounds.
Thank you so much. That is such a spellbinding piece of music. I absolutely love it. And I absolutely love your performance. Oh, of thank it. you. <laughs> uh, with that, we'd like to leave you today. Uh, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, in the meantime, stay happy, stay healthy, stay well. Cheers. You've been listening to LA Opera's Behind the Curtain. If you've enjoyed listening to this podcast, you'll want to make sure you don't miss an episode. Please subscribe and leave a rating or review on Apple iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you listen. Remember to share with your friends on your favorite social media, and we'll see you at the opera. Thank you.